Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. Writing a thrilling book for teens and for middle school children can be a challenge. And our guest today, Tim Shoemaker, is a master of writing exciting whodunits and mysteries for young adults. Here's what Booklist has to say about his novel, Code of Silence, in their star review. Like many a crackerjack thriller, this one boasts a breakneck beginning. Rarely are kids in thrillers portrayed this realistically. It's a deliberate, plausible, and gritty whodunit. In addition to writing 11 books, Tim speaks at schools, churches, and writing conferences. He has been a full-time speaker and writer since 2004, lives in the greater Chicago area, and has been happily married to Cheryl, the love of his wife, for more than 30 years. Actively involved with the leadership at his local church, Tim also writes books focused on sharing biblical teachings with the next generation. So, Tim, thanks so much for joining me. Stephen, I'm happy to be here. Well, first of all, congrats on 30 years with Cheryl. When we, um, when we actually were looking at your website, my office manager was like, that's good, good for them. So, yeah, fantastic. That's great. That's a huge accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, it's, it's, a, it's a little longer than that. Even so longer now, been, huh? you might, Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been 40. What? So, um, you got to update your website. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I must have a typo on there or something. So you found one already. How about that? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, congratulations. No, that's great. Um, that's fantastic. And uh, so um, I, I was thinking back, like, our paths have crossed and numerous times over the years at different writing conferences, and I couldn't remember wherever it was the first time that we met, but you're always so kind and, and um, also friendly, saying, hey, Steve, and now I've been times where I'm like, uh, I think I know you, but like, I can't remember, and so I feel bad about that, but you're always very forgiving. So. But, no, um, do you, no, that was... <laughs> I was going to say, do you ever remember wherever we might have first met? I can't recall. It was San Diego. San Diego, San Diego. Wow. Yeah, do you remember there was those uh, old CPC conferences? I do. Uh, uh, yeah, it was uh-huh. CPC. Yeah, yeah. And you would uh, you get up there, you talk about storytelling techniques, and uh, uh, in fact, I had one of your one of your early books. Oh and my I'm trying to remember. It's the part. It's the part where you know when when all your brain wants when to all do your fly, brain wants to like do that. is fly. How about that? Oh my goodness! Yeah. Do you remember that was well, like the last fun. half of the. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was good. Yeah, was uh, good. yeah. The thing is, uh, if people are curious, like, what does that mean? Your brain flying like that? Um, I'll just quickly share the behind the scenes with that. That was a storytelling book for people who work with children, specifically, you know, kind of targeted at Sunday school teachers and so on. And there was this uh, anyway, this story of where I was working with these children at a camp and one boy like thought he was an airplane and like well he pretended to be an airplane no matter where we went he's always flying off away from the group and so finally I was frustrated and I said to the other counselors as, as this little boy ran off I said I'm going after him and so I ran into the <laughs> cabin and and so he's hiding in the you know the closet and I pulled open the door and I started saying how come you can't stay with the group and how come you're always running off after you know you think you're an airplane and and he looks at me with these big eyes and goes but Steve it's hard for your body to slow down when all your brain wants to do is fly and I was like come here let's go change the world you know like But uh, anyway, that little uh, anecdote really changed the way that I looked at teaching with the next generation. Like so many kids, their brain wants to fly, right? And, and what do we do? We spend so much time like trying to get their brain on the ground. Sit still, don't move, listen to everything I have to say like this. And so really opened me up to say, you know what? Some kids can't really listen while they're sitting still. They have to be moving or whatever it is. And so, yeah, that was... That's interesting. Yeah, back in the day, boy, that was that was a number of years ago. So, well, yeah, cool. Yeah, How about a long that? Long time. <laughs> Good memories, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, 
Well, thanks for uh, coming on the show today. Uh, I'd actually like to start with your speaking and then move on to your writing. I know you speak at quite a few events, uh, like the one that we just you know, brought up from back in the day. What are some of the keys to being an effective communicator when you have a live audience in the room? Oh, well, I think we need to be uh, visual. Uh, so I'll, I'll either have props uh, with me, uh, or I might do a little object lesson where I do something, some sort of a demo. Interesting. Uh, sometimes yeah. I'll, pull, I'll, I'll pull people from the audience. Um, if it's going to be something elaborate, I'll check with them ahead of time. Uh, because you don't want to, uh, you know, say, hey, can I have a volunteer and get 50 hands up and how do you oh, pick somebody? <laughs> so I, so it, it slows it down and you lose control. So I'll say, hey, can I have my volunteer come up here? And oh, uh, sure. so, yeah, and so uh, we'll do uh, some sort of demonstrations. And once you've got a volunteer, it's one of them, even if they don't know. Uh, this person, it's one of them. It's an, mm. somebody from the audience, and they're all relating. They're looking, you know, kind of leaning forward, um, hoping the person's embarrassed or whatever. But uh, so I try to uh, break up uh, that time using stories, using visuals, using uh, an object lesson uh, type of thing, demonstration, uh, quite a bit uh, as I go through it. And then, of course, um, you know, trying to keep that eye contact and such with the audience. Uh, so I'll, I'll always have notes up there, uh, that's mm, for sure. Yeah. But I try not to be tied to them uh, so that you can uh, relate to that, that audience a little bit more. Those are just a couple things that come to mind. Yeah, no, uh, those are interesting. I like that. You know, having a, you know, a role for a volunteer that's, you know, something significant. And so bring someone up and stand there and they're like, what? I don't know what I'm doing here. But, um, yeah, no, that's good. Or something visual interesting. Um, some, um, I know you've written books that include some of those, you know, object lessons that you mentioned and so on. And, and then you also just mentioned stories. Um, and one of the things that I really love about stories is, they, I feel like they appeal to people of different backgrounds, different ages, you know, children, adults, that stories are a way to actually bridge that, uh, that divide between, between people. Do you, do you find that to kind of be the case in your uh, speaking as well? Absolutely. Um, and, and you think about it, you know, depending on what you're, what you're teaching or Telling, or, or you know, it could be a something motivational. It could be instructional that you're doing, but you know, when you share a story uh, versus when you're just sharing kind of facts and information, that information they're processing that in their head, uh, and so you're hoping if there's something that you want them to take away from this, you're hoping that you know part of this message you're delivering goes from their head to their heart, right? Mm, but yeah. with a story. It is just entering right into their heart. You're there. Hmm. And uh, it's not, to me anyway, it's not that you have to go through their head as much. You're already working in their heart. And if you can tell that story, if it's a good story, uh, they're going to remember it. And whatever it is that the point that you were trying to get, uh, that'll just come through. And uh, they've already got it. That's a you know, that's a great point. And, you know, recently on an, uh, a recent interview, I, I spoke with Kendall Haven, who's a researcher and a storyteller, and all of the scientific research supports what you just said, that stories are a super effective way of imparting information, inspiration, and so on. And so Kendall has done uh, about a decade or more of research in different fields from psychology to so on, science and, and um uh, I don't even know. He said 16 different fields, but but um, but even if they don't use the same terms you and I might use, like plot or character, desire, pursuit, mm. things like that, that they're all kind of talking about the same thing. So I thought that was super fascinating. And you found the same thing just through experience, even if you haven't maybe like looked through the scientific journals as Kendall Kendall has. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I haven't looked through the scientific journals at all. But that is interesting that yeah. they came up with. Uh, you know, obviously that uh, there's some truth behind it. It just gets through. You know, there's times where um, you can be, um, you know, you can be confronted with facts. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, hey, you're, 
they can affect you. Uh, say there's some, some news story that comes on and you're hearing that, oh boy, that's terrible. There's a, there's a school bus of kids being held hostage. Oh, that's awful. Um, but like when we're telling a story, we're introducing them to characters and they feel that they get to know these characters. Now, that same news announcer, you know, if, if they mention this and you know that your, your niece or your nephew rides that bus to that school, you know, suddenly you're engaged in a whole different level because you identify uh, with the people on the bus that much more. So, um, yeah, using that story where they're getting to know these characters and getting to care about them, wow, you know, you're, you're, you're right there, right in their heart. Uh, when you were telling that, it reminded me of years ago, I was um, on a flight I can't remember exactly where, maybe to Cincinnati or, or, or something. I can't recall where it was. But there was a guy sitting next to me, and he'd had a little too much to drink, I think. And he was kind of being a little <laughs> bit disruptive. And, um, and so I was feeling kind of, like, impatient with him, or like, just shut up. I didn't say anything, but I'm thinking, come on, man, what's, what's going on? And then, and, then, and then he mentioned that he was on his way to the funeral of his, I think it was niece or nephew, like you just said, you know, but he was on the way oh. to the funeral where they'd just been in a, one of the school shootings that we've had, you know, in this country oh. over the years. And so, oh. and, and suddenly I'm just like, dude, I'm sorry I was sitting here, you know, kind of judging you or whatever. I mean, I felt kind of bad, horrible, uh, but also for him even more, you know, for the loss that he'd had. But, but knowing that moment or that little piece of his story helped me to understand where he was coming from so much better. So true. Yeah. So true. And, you know, you even think, uh, you know, from all sorts of, you've got sports announcers. They start giving a little background story about somebody mm. beyond the facts and the figures. And, wow, you're that much more engaged. Uh, and, you know, if there's two teams playing in a big game and I'm not really familiar with either team, I might ask uh, my son, uh, you know, what's the story on these teams? And he'll tell me a story about different players on different sides. And then you say, oh, boy, oh, yeah, okay, that's the team I want to win. It was just because of a story. That's so, um, yeah. Now, have you ever been, you know, have you ever been, you know, telling stories or speaking to a group and things have not exactly gone as planned? Oh, oh. <laughs> all the time. Uh, you know, there's things like that. I remember one of the worst moments. Uh, I had, I, oh, I made this terrible mistake. So I'm speaking to this group, and they had questions from the audience. <laughs> and so um, I couldn't hear this one person. They were not speaking up. They were like three-quarters of the way back. And, you know, sometimes a group, they'll relay that question back up to you. You know, somebody will oh, sure, yeah. help you out and give it. And, and I'd ask twice or three times they would tell me about some book and is it like something rather than some book and and you know what i just couldn't i just couldn't hear it yeah. so i finally said uh you know what i'm really not familiar with that book you know so i'm thinking okay i'm off the hook i can't answer that question but the reality was i didn't hear them but i heard their answer they said but you wrote it oh no <laughs> that was one of your books <laughs> <laughs> they were asking me a question about one of my own books, and I just couldn't make out the question, so I, I dodged it that way. So now I, I, I make sure I hear that question or I have somebody relay it up. But, yeah, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's things that – oh, that was – yeah, it was awful. Yeah, you wrote it. Oh, thanks a lot. That's great. It was riveting. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, so uh, you – I know, Tim, that you've spoken to teens to also – you know, to adults, uh, men's groups, and, and retreat, different retreats, and all sorts of different types of groups and audiences. And I was curious, um, do you find that the same types of stories or storytelling tends to work, let's say, for, for um, young adults as well as adults, or do you have sort of different material that you like to share with the next generation when you're, uh, when you're speaking or teaching them? Okay, that's a, there are some stories that work perfectly, but I might put a different emphasis on it. Oh, okay, sure. So, for example, um, I'm telling a story about my son when he's in college, and 
this, you know, very scary thing that happened to him. If I'm talking to youth, I'm emphasizing what's going on with my son in the alley. And if I'm talking to parents, I might be emphasizing what I'm feeling like on the phone, hmm. talking to my son, yeah. discovering he's in an alley. And so I, I may change that emphasis just a little bit uh, based on the audience. But um, there's other stories that have a pretty universal appeal. And I'll also be careful if I'm talking to youth, um, you, you, I'd want to be really, 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 really careful about telling a story about when I was their age. Uh, that just sounds kind of grandfatherly. And, uh, it, right? And it, and it feels like you're not relating. But the tendency is to tell a story like that to relate. But you could actually be distancing yourself because it sounds like eons ago. Uh, and that might not be everybody's experience. But now yeah. if I'm talking to somebody that's older... Oh, I can talk about that, and they relate. They, they remember back in their glory days, too. And, yeah. Uh, so that, that works. So I'm not sure if that would yeah. match up with, uh, with your experience on that, but uh, often the same story can work. You just have to change the emphasis a little bit and, uh, and be careful, uh, you know, what you're talking about. I find, um, depending on some of the audiences, too, Sometimes I'm better off not telling a personal story, but telling somebody else's story, uh, mm. so that doesn't sound like you know I I I, um, uh, or I'm always the you know the main character yeah. uh, in it, where I can bring somebody else in. So part of it's just sort of knowing uh, who you're talking to, and uh, and I think one of the things that's great. I mean, you're you're a you're a very visual person. I mean, you've got acting ability. You've got You've got this, you know, entire package here. Uh, when I, what I've noticed is um, many of, especially, you know, students, they are bulletproof uh, to a PowerPoint, you know, presentation or whatever. <laughs> I mean, that, they, that means nothing to them. They, that is, they see that type of stuff all the time. And yeah. so to me, when you're actually doing something, when you're telling that story, maybe you pull out some object that has something to do with it or whatever, they're, they're there because they don't get much of that. And so these very things that um, uh, it seemed that technology was replacing, uh, actually there's a hunger for it. And uh, so I've got, when I'm talking to, like, say, students, uh, if, they're, if they're younger, I've kind of got a loose five-minute rule uh, where, uh, depending on how long I'm talking, um, It'll end up every five minutes I've done something visual or I've hmm. gone into a story or something like that. Yeah. And, um, and it, it, it may not be right on the clock, but I'm going to start with something. And generally, five minutes in, I'm going to something that's going to be visual or uh, a story, something to, something to keep them there. And it, it really seems to work. Tim, I like how in what you've been saying, you really are taking your listeners into consideration, both as you choose the stories, as you shape that story, you're thinking about their experience, their, you know, where they're at today, and trying to keep their attention and so on. But, but I love that it's not just about you, but it's actually about them. Like you're, say, you're saying, I'm going to shape this story depending, it'll be a little different, you know, depending on who's actually in the audience. Um, so I think that's fascinating. Yeah, I think um, there's this, you know, there's this whole thing. You know, uh, it's amazing uh, to me going into, for example, a junior high and doing an assembly. Now, I haven't mm. been able to do one of those in a year. Yeah. Um, I did one March 9th of last year was my last assembly. Oh my and it was, that was the week that everything changed. Everything so at the beginning of the week, yeah, at the beginning of the week, I'm doing an assembly and class visits in a junior high. And at the end of the week, uh, you know, we're making decisions, uh, you know, at our church to close the church. So yeah. it was bizarre. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, when I'm talking with them, you know, anybody over 20 is old to them. So one of the things that I, right? So, yeah. you know, one of the things that I, I don't try, you know, I try very hard not to do is I'm not trying to come in there and be cool. Uh, so 
I'm not, I'm not going to try to dress real. I'm not out of style, but I'm not trying to be trendy like young trendy. I'm going to be me. I'm going to be comfortable. Um, but I'm not trying to, uh, you know, come in and dress like them, for example. And I think that's important, uh, too, because um, relating to them is, is way different than trying to look like them or talk like that. That's a good point. It's, yeah. it's something different, yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. And, um, you know, some people today, I guess the saying is, you be you or whatever. <laughs> Do you or be you, or my daughter says sometimes. And, like, what is, that? is that a thing? She's like, oh, yeah, everybody says that. So I guess it's a thing. But, <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, no, there's something to be said about that, you know, like trying to be authentic and, you don't want to turn them off by wearing something that makes you look completely, uh, I don't know, maybe too far different or something, whatever. But, but, uh, right, but right. yeah, you're, you're comfortable in who you are. And you come up, you're not trying to be cool, you're not trying to be hip, you know, not trying to be 16 again. But, but uh, I think they can sense that. I think a lot of listeners really appreciate, you know, when whoever it is speaking to them, telling them stories or whatever, is comfortable in their own skin being who they are. And I think that sets an audience um, at ease as well. Definitely, right. So, you know, I'm not going to dress, you know, in a tie or anything ridiculous like that, right? I'm going to be comfortable. Uh, I'm going to wear jeans, but probably not skinny jeans. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, right? So I'm, I'm not going to try to get too close to where they're at and one of the biggest things I want to do is uh, um, is work to gain their respect and, and that comes by listening to them and respecting them and uh, and and really showing I love being there yeah. and uh, I'm all about telling them the truth and I think they can pick up on that um, I'm not going to just tell them what uh, I think they want to hear I want to tell them truth mm-hmm. and share different things with them and um, they seem to resonate with that yeah no that's that's cool. I mean, I've spoken with some other people who teach uh, and, and do motivational speaking uh, for, for high school students and so on across the country. Uh, um, Bob Lenz comes to mind, a uh, great storyteller and motivational speaker. And same thing he was saying. Be real. Be respectful. Listen. And don't try to put on airs about being someone that you're not, and kids will notice that and respect it. So, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And no. you really got to roll with the you got to roll with the flow. If something <laughs> isn't going right, you know, um, you know, the worst thing you could do is, uh, uh, you know, get indignant about that or, or whatever. No, you just you just roll with it. And if something happens, um, you know, you laugh. There was uh, oh, there was just something in in December. I was speaking, and there was like a balcony with a sound sound thing up there. And apparently a chair collapsed. I mean, they didn't tip over. I mean, it broke. It was the <laughs> loudest echoing thing through there. And, and, you know, you can't just talk over that yeah. like it didn't happen. You know, you've got to use it. You've got to use whatever happens and, uh, and just have fun with it. That's good. Um, I was trying to I, – I thought of something whenever you were – you're sharing that, and there have been times where strange things have happened whenever I've been speaking or presenting, and again, if you ignore it, everyone's like, well, why is he just going on with this shtick or whatever it is, but, but if you actually sort of say, oh, well, I had no idea that we, you know, I don't know, whatever, you just respond to it, naturally people kind of, again, that sort of sets them at ease, like, oh, this guy's present, he's here, he's you know, responding to us. He's not just going through the same exact talk that he's done a thousand other times at a thousand other, you know, schools. Um, and, and again, it's, it's a matter of, you know, respecting, respecting your audience. Um, now, one thing I wanted to ask you a little bit is, uh, I'm not putting you on a spot, don't worry. <laughs> but you've worked with teens and written for them for many years. And so here's one, a question that I was waiting to ask you is, what are some misconceptions people have about teens today? Oh, boy. Well, they think that their problems aren't as big uh, or that, you know, it's just so much drama. And this is so easily solved with this situation or, or this, you know, they've got 
easy solutions, but it just isn't that easy. Um, you know, you've got these kids who have got so many emotions that are so magnified. It's like our emotions on steroids. You know, it's all new. It's all fresh. But they don't have the, the experience to deal with them. So, um, you know, they've got a lot of knowledge, but not a lot of wisdom. You know, many of the kids I talk to, when I go in, and this is, I guess, an important point, I think when it comes to the nuts and bolts of respecting your audience, um, I don't look at them as kids. Yeah. Uh, I, I think of them as being just as smart as me, maybe smarter. Certainly in technology, smarter. Uh, areas <laughs> sure. of, of math, you know, that I'm, I'm going to be rusty on, oh, yeah. They're, they do circles around me on a test. And so I look at them as being smart, but they just don't have experience. That's what I want to help bring them some perspective and experience on things. And uh, so I'm respecting that. But one of the problems they've got is they don't know how to deal with these issues. Hmm. Uh, so uh, that's difficult for them. The fact that they're always they're always on display, hmm. you know, with the social media. Their friends are posting you know, these bogus stories about what they're doing or, uh, you know, making life just seem great uh, for them. And, and it, just, it just wreaks havoc on uh, their self-esteem, their self-worth, and, uh, so, and they can't get away from it, hmm. you know, because it's there all I've the heard, time at night, yeah, you know. Yeah. I've heard some studies on, you know, how... Frequently, people get texts and emails and, and so on that, that it actually ends up elevating our stress level because, like, every six minutes, someone is sending you a new email, or every couple minutes, really, if you're a teen, you might be getting a text message or a notification or an update or a like or a comment or something like that. And uh, it actually causes anxiety that we might not even be aware of, sort of this constant state of, I have to keep up with this, I have to post something, I have to reply, I have to respond, I have to. And uh, that's not healthy, like you just said. You're right. And, and you know, that thing you were just saying about, you know, I have to respond, I have to reply. Yeah. And they also have to be funny, or mm-hmm. they have to be clever, or they have to be... So it's not just, I have to give a yes or no. This isn't like a, a pop quiz or multiple choice. No, no. They've got to come off as good. They've got to be the stand-up guy. And uh, it, that, that is a ton of pressure. And Yeah. They're expected, they're expected to be there, you know, uh, middle of the night. Uh, you're you're going to wake up and be out of it if you missed whatever thing was going on. Yeah, it's, it's a rough situation. So they've got a lot to deal with, and they just don't have all the, the tools uh, yet to deal with. So in many ways, they've, uh, they've, got it, uh, they've got it tough. I think something that's coming through in what you're saying, Tim, is just, you know, you have a real heart for the next generation, um, you know, telling them the truth, but inspiring them, encouraging them, because you, they, you know, it's, it's not an easy world that we live in. You're right, and social media has put a lot of pressure on kids that, whenever you and I were growing up, we didn't have that kind of, you know, pressure all the time. Um, is some of that behind you writing? You know, let's move a little bit from speaking back toward writing. Is some of that kind of behind your um, writing for for middle school and for high school students? Yes, yes. You know what? Uh, years ago, um, I remember I was at a writers' conference, and somebody who was, uh, uh, you know, beginning to kind of really kill it in the the adult fiction uh, realm, you know, talked to me. Said, you know, I I used to write for this age. Uh, but, you know, kind of the I've moved on story, and you need to move on too. They said, mm. this is where the money's at. And um, now that was at a time when there was a, there was a real uh, drought of uh, books going out in, in some of that middle grade stuff, which it all changed, mm. uh, you know, for sure. I mean, that's a, that's a huge market now. Yeah. But in my mind, I thought, you know, usually with our writing, there's something that comes up. There's some, some truth, some 
life lesson that it's going to teach, some experience you're going to impart, something. Not that you're writing to an agenda, but there's going to be something that comes out. And uh, oftentimes, uh, people are writing to try to help fix broken adults, you know, in some way, right? Uh, I want to get to the kids before they're broken. Hmm. I want to try to help keep some of them on a healthy path, on a good path, on a less self-destructive path, uh, perhaps. And, 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 of course, there's plenty of kids that are involved in messed up as well. But um, if I can get to them, there's this, you know, this terrific blend of innocence that is, is, is diminishing. It, it's, just a, it's just a great age. They can, they can say their mind. They say these crazy things. Um, they'll do these really impulsive things. Uh, they're just not as refined and polished yet. It's just a fun age uh, to, uh, to try to reach out and, and to help them uh, in many ways. I want to do more than entertain with yeah. writing. Uh, there's a lot of books out there that entertain. Um, but when it all comes down to it, I want to inspire in some way too. Yeah, that's good, and it actually brings up another question I wanted to um, touch on a little bit, is that is this idea of moral dilemmas. I think that moral dilemmas can lie at the, at the heart of many, you know, many great stories, whether they're told or written and so on. And in your book that I have here in front of me, Code of Silence, um, it deals with some of these dilemmas, these questions. For, for instance, I'll just... Glance at the back page, you know, it says telling the truth could kill them, but remaining silent means an innocent man takes the fall and a friend never receives justice. Is there ever a time to lie? And what happens when the truth is dangerous? The three friends trapped in a code of silence must face the consequences of choosing right or wrong when both options have a price. And so you've put, you've taken this situation and you've put these students in, in a place where it seems like there's no win, like, that creates tension, and tension lies at the heart of great stories. That is, that is so much fun, though, right? I've, I've gotten <laughs> uh, feedback from, from uh, teachers where they've had debates in their classroom because they've made that a class read. Once hmm. it did what it did with book list, um, it became sort of a book that school libraries and then classrooms could have without really worrying. In fact, um, I was just talking to some classrooms yesterday. Uh, I talked to, it was through Zoom, but it was, it was six classes of junior high students. So, um, but they had made Code of Silence a class read. Well, I'm hearing from the teachers, they have these debates in the classroom. You know, there's some of them saying, you should never snitch ever, ever, ever. You never, you never snitch on a friend, no matter what. And there's yeah. others saying, yeah, but there's a there is a time. There's there's a line. So it it makes even the readers grapple with some issues and say, huh, what what if this would happen? What is the right way to handle it? And and sometimes that it's it it can get very fuzzy, but it helps when they're thinking it through uh, with somebody else, and that actually gives them a little bit of experience when they're facing something that. Uh, you know, it's not so clear black and white. I like, um, I like that uh, it gets them thinking about important issues because it's the same for um, adult fiction that, uh, that I enjoy. Like, I like young adult fiction, and I also like, you know, fiction for adults and so on. But ones that make me think, huh, I never thought about that before. I wonder what I would do, or I wonder what the right choice is there. Those are the stories that stick with me. Now, of course, I love a great entertaining story, but um, the ones that really stick with me are entertaining as well as kind of like thought-provoking both. Yeah, yeah. And when you find yourself reading a story, uh, and, and at some point you're convinced they're making a mistake. No, no, they should do this. Hmm. They're making their situation worse. Well, you know what? That's not bad either because uh, that reader's invested. And, yeah. Um, they're already thinking it through, but as, as long as there's a good, plausible reason, you know, why they're making the bad choice or the wrong choice or whatever. But when I see so many people split on how this would be the handle, uh, I think we're onto something, you know, uh, we've got the right idea. 
Now, uh, School Library Journal named your book, Code of Silence, one of the top ten mysteries for young adults the year uh, that it came out. So congrats on that. And um, I, it made me think of this question, and that is when you write a mystery, uh, do you start with the solution for the mystery in mind, or does it come to you as you develop the story and as you write it? It's always as, as I develop it, as yeah. I write it. Uh, for me, now, sometimes, obviously, when I do get that figured out, it may require um, quite a bit of rewriting mm -hmm. to make it work just right. But a lot of times, no, I haven't quite figured it out, uh, you know, who it is or, or even maybe even full motives. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, it, I have to go back and do some work afterwards. But I... I, I do like jumping in on the story. Maybe I jump in too quick. Uh, because once you've got this idea, or maybe it's a title of that first line, or just this, this situation, uh, boy, you want to jump in and start developing characters. And, and some of that begins to uh, help guide uh, where that mystery will go or, or what it's all about. I'm the same way. I mean, people who listen to the show know that I tend to write organically, that I don't outline plot things out. I have no, nothing against those who do that approach, but uh, I find that for me, and it's more enjoyable, but also I make discoveries as I'm working on stories. Like I'm thinking, I wonder if so-and-so could be the bad guy. Well, that would be interesting. I mean, I might have to change a couple things earlier, but that'd be a good twist. And so that's how I come up with most of the twists for my books I had something in mind, but then I'm constantly questioning whether or not that's the right route or direction to take the story. And for me, that creates an adventure and discovery and really helps me to stay motivated to write over the months that it takes to write, to write a novel. Absolutely. Stephen, it's like we want to know what happens. We're so into this story. I want to know what happens too, but instead of just reading the story, I've got to write it. And, uh, you know, because I want to know how's it going to work out. And, um, and yes, yeah, sometimes it does change. I might have been thinking I'm going to go this way, but as I go, I, I say, you know what? Uh, I'm really not going to be true to that character. That, that character really isn't that person. Now that I know the character better, we can't, we can't do it that way. Um, oh, man, that'll be much harder to do it the other way. Yeah, but that's the right way. We're going to do it that way. So, um, yeah, I love, I love doing that. And the other thing I think for me, and this probably isn't for everybody, but if I were to try to sit down and, and map it all out, uh, I think I would be looking for that moral to the story too soon. Uh, it would uh, perhaps come across agenda-driven, yeah. Uh, I would certainly, um, I would certainly, uh, I think, not be as creative. I, it would be a little more stereotypical, you know, because what, what is likely to be more involved? What is likely to be more creative? Something I've been percolating over for months or something I just sat down and, and uh, filled out an outline and, and uh, said, here's what we're going to do. Um, I think it's as it, as it goes and you get these, Stephen, does it ever happen to you where, you wake up like in the night, early morning, and you've got an idea. You've got some, <laughs> yes. or a, a solution clicked into place. You've not known how you're going to get out of a corner or something, and all of a sudden, something clicks in place, like in the night. And, and you wake up with this idea, and yeah, that happens to me at times, and, and I love it. Uh, as long as I can get back to sleep afterwards, and I write it down clearly. But, I can't uh, always do that, you know, but... But sometimes I'll yeah. wake up and scribble something. Sometimes I'll get out of bed. And I was like, I'm, I'm up. I got this idea. I'm just going to go to work, you know. And then I go back to sleep at 8 or 9 in the morning when, whenever yeah. I'm, I'm burned when out. When you've got but it down. Yeah, when I've got it, when I've got it down. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I used to keep a pad by my bed, you know, for that. But I don't do that anymore. I get up. Yeah. Uh, because um, I had it where, and one time, I don't know what I was writing, but I had the pad, I'm laying on my back, and I'm, and I'm writing, writing, you know, real big print because I can't see, <laughs> and, 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 you know, flipping the pages. So, um, and I put it down, satisfied I've got it, and of course, 
you know, by three quarters away on that first page, my, my pen stopped writing upside down. And so then I'm working like, you know, doing like these rubbings with pencil on this paper the next day, <laughs> trying to get the dents on the paper. What was all this brilliant stuff I had? Uh, there you go. Because it's gone. <laughs> so, yeah, getting up is good. One of the things you mentioned when we were talking, and you said it kind of in passing, but I felt like it was a really important kind of thing to notice. You said something about, like, that wouldn't be true to the character. Like, this idea that the character has to act in an honest and authentic way uh, within the story instead of being forced by whatever predetermined uh, plot or outline we might come up with to act in a certain way. Talk a little bit more about that idea of letting characters be true to who they actually are. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, there's times, Stephen, where, uh, well, there's a, there's a book that uh, it just came out this week. It's called Easy Target. And there was a, there was a, a minor character there. And um, that's all she was really going to be. And she was going to be, uh, I mean, she's the kid nobody likes. And, uh, you know, she's, she's been disloyal to one side and she's being played by the other. And so, you know, she's got nobody. But, you know, so I had one idea in mind for her, um, you know, early on. But as I started weaving in backstory and her story, my heart is going out to her. And now I really understand why she is the way she is. And as I begin to let the reader see why she's the way she is, suddenly the path I had for her just no longer felt right. Hmm. It didn't feel right to her. This isn't, you know, she was really a good kid caught in a hard place. And so I couldn't just let her be so nasty. So we had to see how she was doing things behind the scenes to try to help her alcoholic mom. Uh, and and to do these things and and so that uh, and and where she goes in the story now you know if there were to be another book behind that she would be a key part she'd have to be but uh, that's just being as you create that character uh, real to them and saying yeah you know what they really would do this here's really where their heart is and here's what I think they would be trying to do here so yeah that's that's fun. Actually, I kind of like that. I think that's a really important um, point for people who might be writers or storytellers or whatever, is that that um, sustains believability. It also helps the character create more authenticity and dimensionality. And, uh, you know, one of, it's one of the things that, as I've looked at people's work over the years, some people will give me their writing to critique it or look at it and so on. And I'm looking for more and more moments where I say, that's honest. Or, yes, that is exactly where I think that character would go, would think, would do, whatever. So I'm actually looking not so much for the drama as the honesty with the stories that I look Mm. at. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, Yeah. I like that. That's very good. Now, um, so you mentioned in passing this new book that you said just came out. Um, tell us a little bit more about that book and who your target audience is for that. Well, that's uh, for basically 12 to 14-year-olds is kind of the, uh, the target on that. It's called Easy Target. Um, and, it, yeah, it just came out uh, this week. And the, and the basic premise is you've got a, a homeschooled eighth-grade boy. Uh, dad loses his high-powered job. Uh, which means he's got to take a couple jobs to make ends meet. Mom's got to grab a job. Uh, there's nobody to homeschool him anymore. So he's back in the public school system, and there'll be adjustments. And uh, he knows he's got to make friends uh, fast, uh, stay under the radar until he does. He doesn't want to be, you know, this lone, easy target out there. And uh, so he makes friends, uh, you know, and enemies, all in the same conversation. Mm-hmm. And uh, as he sees different bullying situations, he wants to try to um, – make a difference, but he's just one guy, so he's going to go under the radar and, uh, and try this. And, uh, and so we, it, it, it's just fun because you take this guy who wants to do great good, and you know that big danger of taking on the bullies is becoming one yourself. And so we see him slowly uh, changing, 
and uh, actually uh, the guy who's trying to be this protector is, is hurting uh, somebody else who is the real easy target. Uh, and it's that girl that I've been mentioning about. Uh, it's, it, it's, it, it wasn't him. He always thought he was the easy target, was trying to avoid it, but it was somebody else that actually he's involved in hurting as well. So, um, yeah, that's, that's fun. And, you know, when you talk about honesty, there I want to be, uh, you know, really honest. Uh, you know, as people question things, you know, the way people look at, you know, maybe their parents or somebody else's parents. Um, you know, let's be honest. Uh, there's, uh, oh, in this story, uh, this boy, he comes from a, a, a Christian background. His friends are not. And you know what? I don't want to make one look smarter than the other or one better or one putting somebody else down. So we're going to be honest. And, and so there's going to be some people that say, you know what? You know, I, I, I just don't get your God. It, and I want to give them the most compelling arguments ever. And we'll let the characters sort that, or the story sort it out, and the reader sort it out. So, um, yeah, so, so even there, uh, not doing the easy, stereotypical thing, making a parent look dumb, uh, making all the adults look dumb, authority figures look dumb, uh, that's, boy, that's not honest. In fact, uh, kids need to... They need help. They need guidance. They just got to pick the right ones. <laughs> so, Well, it sounds like a story a lot of kids can relate to, you know, this idea of fitting in. I like how you said something about, you know, standing up to the bullies without becoming a bully and you know, finding your place, um, sorting out, you know, your deep beliefs, uh, where you fit into the world and accepting others and all of these things that I know on the, uh, on the minds of of kids that age, but wrapping it up in a story that I'm sure has lots of tension, like m- many of your, you know, thrillers and, and mysteries do. So now um, that story is called e- Easy Target. And right. as long as we're chatting about it, where's the best place for people to actually find, uh, I'm sure they can find your books on any online booksellers or maybe at a local bookstore or something like that. Is there a place or website that you say, you know what, man, check this out. This has all the information on, on my books and so on. Well, I could give my website, but we both already know that I don't keep that up the way I should. Oh, uh, because you only caught the, the anniversary thing was wrong, <laughs> right? So, um, so I can give you that. But, yeah, they can go to uh, you know, any online source sure. and, uh, and get that. Uh, but uh, that, that website is uh, Tim Shoemaker Smashed Tomatoes. Smashed so, tomatoes. Uh, now, there's got to be a story behind that. <laughs> you know what? It was it was one of the object lessons uh, uh, that I was that I was doing it, and often with with kids at school, uh, I'll have a couple kids, uh, you know, come up, and I have a, a you know rubber mallet and uh, some some tomatoes. I put them, I double bag them in like Ziploc, uh, gallon size. I ask them to smash those tomatoes, and uh, <laughs> so they smash them, and that's fun. And uh, so now we hold it up and. And, um, and we look at, you know, this mess. Uh, this, it looks like junk. What do we do? Do we throw this out? Do we put it back in the fridge? Well, most of the kids will say it's junk. Yeah. Well, you know what, though? In the hands of a chef, this is just the beginning of mm-hmm. some things that you really love. Pizza, spaghetti, salsa. You know, we could go on and on, right? And I use that sometimes as an introduction to, to talk to them about uh, sometimes in life, uh, they're going to feel like a smashed tomato. They're going to feel totally messed up. Maybe it's something that they uh, messed up, but maybe it's somebody did something to them. And, uh, but to encourage them, it's not over. Yeah. We make great things out of messed up life, and, um, and we give some examples, that type of thing. But yeah. you know, there's always hope. There's always hope, no matter what their situation is, no matter how bad it is. Uh, so, yeah, that... that that's part yeah, that's of my heart great, uh, you know. on that. Yeah, that's great. You know, the value of every individual. And, and we all do feel smashed at times. And so I like, Yes. you know, I like that. You're saying to kids, look, I know what it's like. You know, you know what it's like. So where do we move on from there? So I think 
That's great. So before we close up, I just wanted to see if you had any other, you know, words of advice for people who might be writing or telling stories to the next generation, um, to teens, to young, uh, young adults, 12 to 14-year-olds and so on. Um, any thoughts or final, you know, encouragements that come to mind? Well, I would say, first of all, it's a worthy thing. Hmm. Do it. Do it. Do it. Um, and don't write down to them. Do not write down to them. They're smart. And, um, and also, if they've got any preconceived notions, you know, like um, uh, if, let's say, for example, if, uh, if I'm talking to uh, a, a, a woman, we'll say, and she's writing for boys, I'll say, if deep down you think boys have it easy and girls have it tougher, be careful because that will come out in your writing. They'll pick up on it. And um, so we, any preconceived ideas we have about that target market in a negative sense, be yeah. careful. They'll pick it. They'll pick it up. So uh, I think of this smart. I don't write down to them. And, uh, uh, and I picture somebody that age that I love, and I write that story to them. Well, I like that, and that's a great place to, to wrap up picturing someone that age that you love and write the story to them, not down to them, but to them. And I appreciate, mm-hmm. appreciate that, Tim. Um, I've really enjoyed hearing kind of your passion, your heart, you know, for, for inspiring, encouraging, reaching, entertaining, thrilling, you know, teens and, and middle school students. Um, so we want our listeners to check out your books and either go to your website um, or go to wherever they might buy books and, and ask for, um, you know, your, your books. Um, the new one, it, it would be a great one to start with, or, or even starting back with some of these that you've written in the past, these award-winning books that you've, you've penned over the years. So, Tim, thanks so much for being on the show today. Hey, that was fun, Stephen. I loved it. And thank you to all of our listeners. For more information about our guests and to check out our other interviews, search for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, or click to thestoryblender.com. Don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcasts on Friday evenings. Tell your stories well, my friends, and always remember... The Art of the Story is all in the blend. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time.